Well, praise the Lord. We're going to, I'm not going to hold you long today. We're going to be going out of uh, Genesis chapter 32 today. And uh, going to be covering uh, Jacob again, where Jacob wrestles with the Lord. Now, I want us to be mindful of the context or the backstory that that's important for us to really see this, what we're about to read uh, in its full in its full capacity. Jacob has, you know, he fled the land of his people for fear for his life, right? And he ended up being under good old Uncle Laban for 20 years. 14, he served for both of Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah. Another six years, he tended to his flock. 20 years of abuse, you know, mistreatment, changing of wages, all kinds of things. And, and it, it makes you wonder sometimes, why does God allow us to go through some of the things he allows us to go through? You know, I've been there many times. You know, Jacob made a decision. He followed his mother's wishes and ended up going to her brother because Esau wanted to murder him. And even though he was with family, he was treated very badly. And yet he said himself to Laban, when he tried to sneak his wives and kids and, and, and stuff out of there, Laban caught up with them. He said himself, if God, the God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, had not been with me, you'd have sent me out empty-handed. So in the middle of all that 20 years of mistreatment, he recognized that God was still with him. And as bad as it was, it would have been worse if it wasn't for the mercy and grace and provision of God. Amen? And that tells me, you know, even though Jacob was there by choice, God used that situation, that 20 years, to, to, to do a work in his heart. At the end of that 20 years, he wasn't the same Jacob that he was when he got there. See, God can use circumstances for our good. Even if the circumstances didn't feel good, it doesn't mean that they didn't work good in us. And we've got to discern the difference, right? God didn't promise us that everything would feel good, but he would work it to our good. And we're going to have to be willing to go through what God sees fit to let us go through in order for the will of God to be wrought in our lives. And so finally, after 20 years, God tells him that it's time for him to go back to the land of his fathers and to his relatives. And I can see here in verses 1 and 2, it says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means double camp, two camps. He said, I'm not here just with my camp. The camp of God is here with me too. 
So the presence of God goes with me. The last time he experienced angels and God, he was on his way to Laban's house. And he fell asleep on a rock, using a rock as a pillow in Luz, which he later named Bethel. And he said, God was here and I didn't know it. God spoke to him in a dream and he saw this huge ladder going from earth all the way up to heaven and angels ascending and descending on it. And God spoke to him in that dream and he told him the promise. He told him the blessing that he was going to have. I'm going to be with you where you go. I'm going to bring you back to the place that I promised your fathers. And that place is going to belong to you and your children. And in you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So he's held on to that promise. You know, that promise was still sure, even when he was getting screwed over by his uncle Laban. The promise of God still stood. It didn't wane. It didn't change. It didn't diminish. It didn't go away. God's promise still existed, and he was going to be faithful to that promise. But this time, angels of God met him. So this is another significant moment in, in his life where God is marking him. And Jacob, realizing that it's God's will, we learned in the previous chapter, God told him it's time to go back to the, to the land of his fathers Abraham and Isaac and be among his people. So he takes action. Verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So we see a humility in Jacob that we didn't see before. There's a few things that we can learn from what God did in Jacob. I referenced the 20 years earlier that the word that came to my mind was perseverance. He persevered under trying circumstances. He persevered in honoring God for 20 years. We're talking trickster, deceiver, heel grabber, Jacob. He schemed and, and guiled his way to get his brother's birthright. He stole his blessing. This is a man who was used to finding a way to get his way. So Jacob would have schemed and connived his way into cheating Laban out of what belonged to Laban if he had his way, but God marked his life. He met God in a dream on his way to his uncles, and it began a change in him. And God's thumb was on him that whole 20 years at Laban. 
I'm not going to recount the story, but you know how he tricked him into marrying Leah and worked for seven years when he worked seven years for Rachel, tricked him another seven years, well, didn't trick him, but he knew how much he loved Rachel and agreed to give him Rachel for another seven years. In all that time, Jacob didn't act in his character. The character that we learned about him with his brother. He submitted and learned what it means to trust God and to let God work things out instead of fighting your own battle. He didn't try to out-scheme Laban. He trusted in the Lord his God. And this, that, that led me to, to this conclusion. Why is that important? And I think in, in our time, this needs to be said probably more than any other time before. Because I am tired of our engaging in what is ungodly or sinful behavior and acting like it was necessary in order for the will of God to come to pass. God does not use, does not want, does not need sin in order for our sin or us to engage in ungodly behavior for his will to come to pass. We don't have to make devil's bargains. What we got to do is surrender to God and trust that he's, going, he's faithful, that he's going to do what he said he'll do. And even if for a season, and even if that season lasts years, I have to sit in what appears to be defeat before the victory of God is manifest, then Lord, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to persevere just like Jacob persevered for 20 years. Because it's not about winning each circumstance. It's not about winning in each event. It's about walking with God. We already have the victory because in him we've overcome the world. What are we trying to win? We're already winners in Jesus. Right? We don't have to try and make society in, in the kingdom of God's image. His kingdom is not of this world. We're called to be lights in this generation to win those such as would be saved unto the Lord because the time is coming when he's coming again and it's going to be too late when that time happens so we got to remember we got to decide what our priority is are we really about our father's business or we doing our own business and wanting him to bless it, right? So, God, why is it important that 20 years? He couldn't be trickster, deceiver, heel grabber Jacob and go forward in what God had called him to. There was going to need to be a character change. There was going to need to be a perspective change. It's going to need to be a focus change. And he learned that in the crucible of the 20 years he spent under Laban. He learned how to trust God even when it was hard. 
Some of you have been through some hard things in recent years, in your life. Some of you are still are either fresh out of a hardship or you're right in the middle of it. I just want to encourage you with this. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy coming in the morning. Endure, persevere in the truth of God's word. Persevere in your faithfulness, in your obedience to God, even though it's hard right now. Because God is doing something in you through that circumstance. Can you trust him there? That he loves you enough that he knows what he's doing. The hammer and chisel might hurt, but he's shaping you into the image of his son. And will you treasure that enough to, to just yield to him and cooperate with that, even though it's hard? All right, so he endured that. But since he's going back to what the place where he called Bethel, he's going back to Canaan, he's going back to the promised land. God told him to go back to that land and to your people. And he know going back to his people, there's one relationship that he left that was totally sideways. There's one relationship that he's going to have to mend in order for things to, to, to be okay when he gets back. And that's with his brother Esau. That's the one who wanted to kill him. And you want to know how I know this man's heart has changed so much? He could have gone, he could have got an attitude. He could have tried to sneak in there and try to, you know, Try to get to where he needed to go without uh, Esau knowing anything about it until later on. Bought some more time. But he could have caught an attitude because he's like, you know what? Yeah. All right. I, I cheated him out of his uh, birthright over a bowl of stew. I stole his blessing. And that's bad. You know what? I, I, that's bad. But, but he schemed to murder me. That's worse. Murder is worse than birthrights. I'm telling you this because oftentimes I am dealing with people who are in conflict. It's tit for tat. It's, you know what? Even if I admit that I did wrong, I'm doing it while saying that what you did was worse. There is a lack of humility that, in, that, that impedes reconciliation. And so I love the fact that Jacob, as he's thinking about the relationship that needs to be repaired between he and Esau, he's not thinking about what Esau needs to do. He finally, for the first time, is owning what he did. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but, but he is trying to make things right. And out of all the abundance that God has blessed him with, he's going over, willing to go over and above to appease his brother in an, in an effort to bring about peace and reconciliation between them. 
And so he says, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks. He's telling his servants this to tell Esau this. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. So far, so good. All right. Maybe the message was received well. And there are 400 men with him. Uh-oh. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now, this is interesting. Because in the previous chapter, Laban brought his posse and ran Jacob down. And Jacob confronted him with boldness. And yet Esau's coming after him and he's freaking out. What's the difference? I believe the difference is he knew he was in the right with Laban. He had been honorable before God and everything. And he knew what weasel Laban was. And he knew God was with him and God wasn't with Laban. But he had right standing. And so he could stand in the boldness of what he knew was right. But deep down, he knew he was wrong against Esau. He's less confident about that. That is still a thing he feels he needs to make right. I hope that makes sense to you. Because I think, I think we all can relate to that. Right? We can have great courage in certain circumstances when we know we're in the right and we're going to stand up for what is right. But when we know deep down we're wrong, we can get cowardly real quick. Now, if you notice, they didn't say whether or not Esau had an attitude or not. They just say he's coming with 400 men. God didn't tell Jacob to freak out. Jacob just freaked out. Why are you coming with 400 people? Must be. It must be that he is going to make good on his murderous intent toward me. Oh, my goodness. So he says, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, oh, then he starts praying. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, Everybody say, but you said. But you said, Lord, that I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob hasn't seen Esau in 20 years. And so 
I can give him a bit of a pass that he would think that Esau is coming with 400 men to lay waste uh, to get back at Jacob. And he was going to destroy Jacob and everything that Jacob owned or cared for. But keep in mind, this is all in his head right now. What's happened to Jacob is what happens to us typically when we feel guilt. He has prejudged the situation. And I want us to pay attention here because this man just talked about what told Laban what God had done for him in the 20 years. That he's going out with abundance despite the fact that Laban would have sent him out empty-handed. That God spared him, God protected him, despite all the evil intents of Laban. Why wouldn't God do this now? If God has done this for 20 years, why wouldn't God continue to be faithful? God hasn't changed. The situation has changed, and now Jacob is feeling less Less confident in the Lord. But he knew enough in prayer to recite God's promise to him. And boy, he really laid it on thick. I'm just going to skim through. He had Five different herds of animals. He had uh, goats, donkeys, oxen, camels, all kinds of uh, animals. And he sent them one after the other to appease the heart of his brother in hopes that his brother would receive him favorably. God told him to do this. Go back to your land. Go back to your people. And in the process of obeying God, he's got to deal with his brother. And I want to skip the verse 22 so as not to turn this uh, any longer than it needs to be because uh, it's a simple message that I want to convey today. He's, Jacob finally has People in his life that he cares more about than himself. Husbandhood has matured him to a degree. Fatherhood has matured him to a degree. It's not just him anymore scheming and conniving. There are lives under his care. There are people that matter to him. And there is a promise of God that he is, that he's carrying. And that promise, he is, his, his hope is in that promise. He is, he is alive with that promise. And he sees it all in jeopardy right now. He's afraid for his wives, his children, his servants. He's afraid of the promise of God will not come to pass if Esau has his way. 
So verse 22, he says, that same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. See, a lot of times we talk about Jacob wrestled with God, you know, as if, you know, Jacob was so, so wanting and so desperate that he saw the man and he went and he just started wrestling. But it says the man wrestled with him. He did engage in the wrestling, but that tells me the man came to wrestle. But he waited until Jacob was alone to do it. This wasn't Jacob's family's battle. This was Jacob's. This wasn't Jacob's family's history coming back to confront him. This was Jacob's history coming back to confront him. And God wanted to do something in his heart. It says a man, but we have, if you read this passage, you realize that this is, this is the angel of the Lord. This is, this, this is that pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate Christ figure that is coming to him and he's encountering him right now. This is the one who can change his name. So this man wrestled with Jacob until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. What does this demonstrate? I think something is demonstrated here that um, is relevant for us in our walk with the Lord. One, that Jacob had to be isolated with God for God to deal with him and deal with him the way he wanted to deal with him. You know, we have to set ourselves apart and go after God and let God meet us in the deep places of our heart. And Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match with God, with the Lord himself. And this wrestling match lasted all 
night long. I don't know if many of you are wrestling fans. Those, those each each round is like three minutes. I know I have three daughters that have become huge wrestling fans. And I think it has something to do with those outfits they wear. I'm, there may be something more to that. I don't know. But I'll, let, I'll let them tell you. <laughs> no, but we've gone as a family, and it's been fun. You know, but that can really test your will. That's a test of strength and endurance or pain tolerance. Um, it just, it, 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 it tests you in, it, in every fiber of your being. Wrestling is, is not an easy thing to do. It, it is one of the most challenging, uh, I guess, modes of combat that there is. And I tell you what, as a football player, the, the crews that, no matter how, much, how highly we thought of ourselves, the guys we did not want to scrap with were the wrestlers. They got, they got respect from us. Um, but this is all night. And don't you know, the angel of the Lord could have ended that wrestling match instantly. He could have ended it instantly. The outcome was never really in doubt. Jacob never really had a chance. <laughs> right? Right? That's not the wrestling match that you want to win. If you're wrestling God, you don't want to win that wrestling match, even if you could. The only way to win is the, the, the only way to win is to humble yourself. It looks like you're losing. You know, you don't you don't want to be that dude that taps out in MMA, right? Some guys get their arms and stuff broken. They just don't because they just refuse to tap out. You know, there's a pride thing there. But he wrestled all night. And that shows you the depth of his fear, his desperation. He really reached the end of himself. And as dawn was beginning to break, the angel of the Lord says, let me go. And he said, no, uh, uh, uh. I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, it gives the impression almost that Jacob's got the upper hand, that Jacob is dictating stuff here. But he's not dictating anything. He's been brought to a point that the Lord wanted him wanted to bring him to. See, he's past scheming anymore. What he knows is that he does not have within him what he will need if his brother comes at him with ill intent. So his only choice is to trust God. He's like, look, I, I won't let you go. The only way I'm going to let you go is if you bless me. He's already blessed. But he's like, I won't let you go unless you bless me. To me, he's saying, all of my trust is in you. My hope, my future, any chance I got with my brother, all of my hope rests in you. So I look to you. I don't look to my, to my 
my uh, brilliant mind. I, I don't look at any, I no longer lean on my ability to scheme and, and plot and plan and, 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 and counter what my brother or anybody else wants to do. No, no, no. Right now, I'm a different guy. I'm a guy whose trust is in the Lord, his God. And all I want right now, I'll let you go. All I want is your blessing. He didn't notice he didn't say, strike Esau down. All I want is for you to blind him and his whole crew. No, it wasn't about Esau. It was about him and his God. Lord, just bless me. And once he did that, The angel of the Lord asked him what his name was. And he said, my name is Jacob. He says, nah, you're not, you're not what you used to be anymore. You have wrestled with the Lord, with man and God, and won. And so now your name is Israel. Notice, he didn't win that wrestling match with the Lord. He came out of that with a limp, right? The angel of the Lord let him go, but not because Jacob won, but because the will of God had been accomplished. And so Jacob, he won by losing, right? He won Basically, he won by yielding. He strove with God. He wrestled with God. And instead of asking for pleasures and, and, and cursing of his opponent, his brother, and so forth, all he wanted was the blessing of the Lord. And the Lord's like, that's it. That's it. I give grace to the humble. I resist the proud. That's it. Walk humbly with your God. That's, that, that's it. That, that's the secret sauce. That's the recipe. Walk humbly with your God. When you're faced with trying circumstances, turn to your God. Instead of trying to scheme and cajole and all that, go to God in prayer and, and, and wrestle with God because God might want to do something in you. You want the situation to change, but God wants you to change. Uh, like the counselor friend of Teresa. We want the circumstance to change, but God's like, oh, what the circumstance you're in, that's where I want you. The circumstance doesn't need to change. You need to get with the program. So will you yield? Even if you got to wrestle with me here, God's going to wrestle. At the end of it, you need to yield and get with the program. Esau's still coming. He's not sure what Esau's intent is. He's still coming. He spent the night with God and, and ends up with a limp. You know, we're not going to go there, but in the next chapter, 
Esau greets Jacob. And we find the way the, way the scripture reads, it, 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 it does not imply in any way that Esau was still angry and still had intent to murder Jacob when he and his 400 men came to him. It's been 20 years. Could God have changed his heart while he was on his way? Yeah, he could have. But I believe the situation was already worked out before Jacob, before Jacob freaked out. And you, can, and you can see it in the chapter when he greets him. He says, what's up with all these animals and stuff? What is up with all these herds and, and so forth? You know, why are you sending me all of that? And, and Jacob told him, hey, man, I know how things, how we left things. And, and I was wanting to win your favor. So I was wanting to, I'm trying to make amends. I was wanting you to receive me well and to not hate me. And he offered everything. Esau tried to give it all back. That's not necessary. Man, I, I have been tremendously blessed. I'm good. And he tried a couple of times to give the stuff back to Jacob, but Jacob insisted on him keeping it. And he finally relented. And Jacob went on his way to go settle where God called him to settle. And the brothers' relationship has gone from being hostile to they hugged and kissed each other. And Jacob was so blessed at seeing his brother's happy countenance, his brother smile, that he said, seeing your smiling face is, is like seeing the face of God. He told him that. It meant that much to him. That's the work of the God in this man's heart because he didn't think twice about taking his birthright and his blessing. And now 20 years later, to see your smile directed at me is, it's as if, it's like seeing the face of God. That's a changed man. Second Corinthians 5, starting at the 14th verse, says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some of you all have come from your own crucible. You might be in your crucible still. Right now, I just want you to hold on. Learn the lesson that Jacob learned. That even in that crucible, God is working on your behalf. Even in that circumstance you don't want to be in, God is blessing you. 
And let's not be so consumed with the negative circumstances that we are blind to God's presence with us where we're at and what he's doing for us. Let's, we're in this month of Thanksgiving. Let's focus on being thankful. Let's be intentional about being thankful throughout the day, each day, and, and, and remind ourselves of what God has done for us and how faithful he's been to us throughout our walk with him. Yeah, we got unfavorable circumstances, but so what? Our God is still with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's already overcome the world. He said, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. Say, be of good cheer. That seems like a contradiction. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So whatever troubles the world brings you, you've already overcome them in me. Your troubles don't restrict the Lord. Your troubles don't intimidate the Lord. Your troubles are not too much for the Lord. So we've got to recognize that sometimes the troubles he allows us to go through, there's got to be a divine purpose in it. And sometimes the divine purpose is me needing to get with the program. Sometimes the divine purpose is certain negative character traits. My Jacobness needs to be pressed out of me so that I can become the Israel God's called me to be. Are you hearing me? So maybe God has you where he has you because he's trying to work your Jacobness out. He's ready to change your name, Jacob, to Israel. I'm trying to think of some female names that with J and I and all this other stuff, but I don't. Can you help me out, sweetheart? You got nothing for me? All right. Huh? Oh, yeah, we got, yeah. <laughs> you know, but for me, just to put my name, in, you know, yes, my given name is Cornell, but but, but there, who Cornell was before the Lord, my Cornellness had to be dealt with so that Christ-likeness could be formed in me. So that what you see in me is not what I was before him, but now you see Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, that, that's, what, that's what needs to happen. The name change kind of connotes or kind of symbolizes a character change or a, a, a spiritual transformation that happens in us in Christ. So this is an Old Testament deal of our uh, of our current walk with the Lord. We're new creations. And we need to stop complaining so much about what we're going through that we're missing the divine purpose of God in it. All this is from God. Continuing that 2 Corinthians, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And I want to finish up with 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. You've heard me say this one before, but to me, the humility that's expressed in Jacob is also expressed here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to get over feeling, we need to get over fearing, feeling weakness. Okay, you're weak, I'm weak. Look, look at the person next to you and say, you're weak. <laughs> And hopefully you don't get punched in the eye when you do that. But you know, I think we need to. <laughs> I think we need to get over that because you know there is such a stigma, and 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 sometimes we even put that stigma on ourselves. The one thing that we don't want to be viewed as as weak. And if someone tells us that we're weak, then that's an insult that cuts deep. And 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 and, and we want people to feel like we're capable. We want to feel like we want to let people. Know what we can do. Don't tell me I'm weak. Now, if it's trying to bench press 500 pounds, it's understandable. But don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me I'm not significant. Don't tell me this or that and the other. You know what? That's that. I get it, but that's pride that can get in the way. Right? And when we walk with God, we don't need to be proving how capable we are. That's not how that walk with God is supposed to go. Right. We're we want to be vessels or conduits through which God can show how capable he is. You know, we need to have the attitude that, hey, if God could do what he did through me. Then he can do anything for anybody. Right. So our weakness shows the strength of God. And so Paul talks about, you know, hey, remove this from me, Lord. I know you can do it. God said, nope, not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. He had answered Paul's prayers many times. But in this case, could Paul handle God's answer this time? He did not answer him. He answered him. He said, nope. And he told him why. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you. Is God's grace enough for you? Is it enough? If, 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 you're the, if you, the answer to your prayer Despite how much you want it, it's God saying, no, I'm not giving it to you. Is his grace sufficient for you? I don't care if it's a possession, if it's a car, and you really need a car. You're tired of riding a bus. You're tired of asking for people to give you a ride and and feeling like you're a burden on people. And God, it sure would be great if you're blessed. No, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to park there for a while. Is his grace sufficient for you? God, I'm tired of being single. I want a relationship with somebody. Somebody my dad would approve of. When am I going to have that special someone, Lord, 
And God's like, not now. Is his grace sufficient for you? God, I'm tired of struggling to make ends meet. And while ends do find a way to meet by God's great grace and, and provision, Lord, I want to be in abundance. I want to not have to worry about these things and so, and so forth. And God's like, hey, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Is that good enough for you? Is it? And I think we need to ask ourselves this question, and we need to settle these things in our heart so that we can be like Paul when God did tell him no. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. You know what? I'm going to boast in my weakness. Not for weakness sake. I'm not proud of being weak, but I'm going to boast out of my weakness. What did he say? so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, God told him no, and he says my grace is sufficient. Okay, so in my weakness, God's power, God's divine ability is going to rest on me in my weakness. And that is so important to me. Why would I want to feel strong in and of myself and put at risk God's divine ability being in my life? God's divine power resting upon me. For the sake of Christ then, notice his, 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 uh, his reasoning here. For the sake of Christ then. Say, for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness. I'm content with weakness, insults, Oh, no, not insults, Pastor. Yep, insults. It's, it's in the scripture. Hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, Father, my Jacobness wouldn't be able to handle this. But, Lord, I don't want to be Jacob. I want to be Israel. I don't want to be the Cornell that thought that he was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I want to be the one who is willing to be weak so that the strength of God can rest upon him. And I could testify to everybody else who's out there wearing masks, everyone out there who's out there faking it to make it, right? They're, they're, they're wanting to... They, 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 they buy the Nike stuff. They put on their Jordan because they want to they project that they're a winner. Right? I want to put on the Jordans. I want to put on name brand stuff because I want to look like I'm a success. You know, I, I want to go and get that fresh haircut and the hair and all this other stuff. You know, and we, we want to project a message about ourselves that presents ourselves as more than what we are. And don't get me wrong, it's not bad to want to look nice and, and so forth. Uh, we just can't uh, let that become our identity. We can't, we can't let that become a false sense of security and strength for us. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I just want to encourage you today... Um, You know, 
It says Jacob wrestled with God, and yes, he wrestled, but, you know, <laughs> I think it's more accurate to say that the Lord wrestled with Jacob to get him to the place that he needed to be in in order for him to move forward with God and fulfill the promise of God on his life. Each and every one of you here today looking at me, you have the promise of God on your life. And I want you to see your circumstances not just as problems, but I want you to endeavor through prayer and, and prayer and fasting, just openness and transparency before God. I want you to endeavor to see your circumstances in light of how God may be wanting to work in your life. These troubles that have frustrated you, these troubles that are frustrating you, these things that have you angry at God or, or just have you mad at life. And you think that if the situation changed that everything would be fine, but I submit to you that it's not the situation that needs to change. It's the one in the situation that needs to change. Somewhere along the way, you believe the lie that your circumstances are speaking to you. Somewhere along the line, you got into panic mode like Jacob did. Oh, Esau's coming. He's got 400 people. That's not just the people God has blessed him with. It must be an army. And he's coming with an army to take me out. Don't label your circumstances out of your fear. Take your circumstances to the Lord. Be willing to engage him. Wrestle with him. All night if need be. Wrestle as long as you need to wrestle with God that whatever needs to die in you dies. And you get to a point to where all you want is a blessing from the Lord. Lord, I started this thing complaining about my circumstances. I, I started this, this wrestling match wanting you to do something about it. But at the end of it, make it so that all I want is a blessing from you. All I want is more of you. All I want is your favor, your strength to rest on. God loves you. He's faithful to you. Don't worry about your circumstance. Just worry about whether or not you're engaging the Lord in your circumstance. God wants to speak to you today.
God wants to meet you where you're at and God has provision for you. Don't seek to feel strong. Seek to lean on the strength of your God. In your weakness, lean into his strength and let the Lord uphold you. Let the Lord carry you. And you will find that as you plug in and lean into what God has called you to do, you'll find in many cases the situation wasn't as bad as you feared. You'll find that it wasn't as difficult to overcome. And you might even find that, like Jacob found, that his fears were unfounded. Esau wasn't coming there to to take him out. Esau was glad to meet and greet his brother after 20 years of separation. And Father, I lift up every person here to you, those present and those watching. I just lift them up to you, Lord. You know every situation that's present today. You know what everyone is going through. And Lord, I pray that wherever it's needed, that there is a bunch of wrestling matches that, that, uh, that, that occur here, uh, that are occurring here, Father God, in the spirit. That the cares of people's hearts, the fears of people's hearts will drive them to you. For I fear they have not been going to you for anything other than make it stop, Lord. Change it. Do something different. I pray now that they will just come to you and they will engage you. And they will do like Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me, Lord. Because you are all I need. Everything I need is in you. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I pray that everyone has a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving holiday, Lord. And, and, um, and everybody is safe, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.